so very good to see everybody here today and to have many of you back from illness. So thankful to the Lord for His care and protection, keeping us from the, I guess, the ultimate flu illness and restoring us. So praise God. That was a sign of His excellent goodness to us. I may be drinking a lot today, so I apologize in advance, but... God is good. He is so wonderful. So that hymn was fully intended because of our theme, our our attribute today that we're going to be examining as much as we reasonably can by the Word of God and with His Spirit. We're going to look into the love of God. And if you would, just turn to 1 John 4 to start out with. We're going to be in quite a few scriptures today, but 1 John 4, 8 and verse 16. We'll get to that in just a second. But let me pray. Oh, glorious Father, what what an undeserved privilege it is to come together. Lord, as, as your beloved brothers and sisters under the headship of our glorious Lord Jesus. Father, to examine again another of your glorious, wonderful, indescribable. Father, one of the dearest of your attributes because we see in this your very heart. Your heart toward us. Your your desire toward us. Your will toward us your manifestation toward us, your power toward us. And Lord, oh, I pray that the depths of our brief study here would so grip our souls, so transform our souls in our understanding and our response and our love return to you and and manifested to, Father, in this body that you have gathered together. For your love is with great purpose and great authority. Father, may we, may we relish in it today. May we exult in praise to you today because of your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. When we hear the word love used today in the world, sadly, it carries with it seldom carries with it, I should say, any, any value or weight of meaning that, that goes beyond some, some superficial, temporary feeling, um, a base attraction or an indulgent. Usually, as, as Pink says, it carries some sickly sentiment and is, is typically patterned after our own natural fallen emotions. But thankfully, Praise God, thankfully for us, right here, right now, we have been extremely privileged and blessed by God to have in his word, as we are such finite and inadequate recipients, to have the revelation of just what true love actually is, that there is no other source of true love other than God himself, but not just to read about what it looks like in in words, but to see what it really means. 
what it is and, and in all of its derivative forms that I hope we can explore today, both in its beauty, who it's sourced from, the depths of it, the powerful purpose in it, because in it we find God's good and acceptable and perfect will for us. So would someone like to read, to begin with, 1 John 4, 8, and then also verse 16, please. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And verse 14. 16, please. Yep, yep. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Amen. If I may have the privilege, I, just meditating on this this week in preparation, I had to had to get out the journal <laughs> because this was this was very precious, and just considering this love of God, not love for God, but the love which originates within and comes forth from the very heart of the Father of the Son, and of the Spirit. This love that's shared between each person of the eternal triune Godhead. This love which is self-satisfying within the three divine persons, where it was always sourced. It is, it is exchanged in a, in a constant expression of blissful communion that has never begun, it has always been, and in its immutable perfection will continue throughout all the eternal existence of the Godhead. How do we, as mere finite creatures, attempt to peer into this so blessed communion and and attempt to see, but so much more to, to taste, to experience, to put... As, as the Puritans say, an experimental exercise within our souls. And to see this exercise throughout his church, the reality and the power of God's love. It is examining this glorious attribute of God's love that through the Spirit's power, we may truly come more and more to know and experience that even in the midst of our most mundane aspects of life and the most crushing circumstances and trials we could ever encounter, that we may understand that in all of this is found the reality of God's love. Oh, that we may truly see its purpose in his sanctifying work within each and every one of us, confirming and assuring his call to us his enjoyment upon us, and whereby we may respond with an outward flow of love, his love, actually, through us, to bring both a reflective and declared glory to his name for this love and for who he is, and exercised like refreshing waters to brother, to sister, to sufferer, to encourager to those rejoicing, to those whom God has joined us together with. This is the reality 
of the life of the child of God to know God's love and to be keeping ourselves in God's love. This is truly heaven on earth. And the glorious reality that we will explore today is that this unfathomable, this inexhaustible love of God has been revealed and it has been dispatched in unquenchable volume to us. To us. To us. Despicable, unworthy sinners in dire need. What a glorious God we serve. So today as we as we explore and consider this love of God, God's love through his means of revelation to us, may we not, and I pray, this has been our continual prayer and, and, and exhortation to us, is we don't just gain facts, that we may draw out from his word, his truths to us about his love, that we may bask in it, that we may live in it, that we may flourish in it as the very intended recipients and objects of God's amazing love. So now we'll begin. And I want to take just kind of one step back and look at, again, God's, God's nature in, in three brief points as it's revealed to us in Scripture. First, we see in John 4.24 that it says God is spirit. There's not an indefinite article here that God is a spirit, that he's not another spirit among others, or one to be classified with another of, of a similar type. But God is spirit in the highest sense. And from what we learn from his omnipresence, he is, he's not composed of, of matter or having a material existence limited to only one place at any time. For God not only created, but he possesses and fills all of his creation, all of the heavens and the earth. And he is present now with us, and always present with us. Second, God is light, according to John, 1 John 1.5. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, which tells us not only of the radiance of his glory, but that his light is the essence and radiance of his holiness, his, his goodness, his life, and the fullness of his excellence. The opposite of sin and darkness and eternal judgment. And these two attributes of his nature lead us to the third aspect, which we're going to look at today is in God's nature, is his love. This is not just that God loves but that he is love himself. And it is his very nature. It is the essence of his very person. Now let's look briefly at the word love. What does it mean? What, what is used specifically to describe God's love? Is anyone aware of the, typically I'm, I'm, we're looking at three different meanings from the Greek that we know that describes God's love or excuse me, or love in general and God's love. Right, but specifically the Greek words? Agape, right? All right, somebody said phileo, is that you, Wally? All right, and eros, right? Okay, we'll go this direction. <clears throat> Eros is, is found in Greek language and Greek literature. It's not in Scripture. I searched. <laughs> I searched. I was like, 
it's got to be in here somewhere. It it is, and brother, help me on this. It is um, referred to in the Hebrew, um, in a sense, when talking about it, refers to to sensual love, to physical attraction. Um, it implies more of a of a taking or an attraction towards something that's going to provide for us, but it, we don't find it in the New Testament. This is not what we're referring to when we talk about God's love, obviously. Second, there is phileo, which is, as we know from Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. This is that, that brotherly love where we have the friendship type of love and affirming love for one another in a relationship. But the greatest word for love and what we're commonly used in Scripture to identify God's love is agape or agapeo. And it's the most excellent and highest form of love that there is. Agape love is not based on, on just mere feelings, just mere emotions, or some external attraction that would cause us to be have an, an appeal or a draw to one another. It's, it's a love that is primitively rooted deep within the one who loves and is sacrificially given to seek the greatest good in the recipient of this love. I'll say that again. This love, agape love, agapeo, is primitively rooted deep within the one who loves and is sacrificially given to seek the greatest good in the recipient of this love. It is toward the one who is loved. This is in stark contrast to the word lust, which is to demand, to take, not lawfully or morally yours at the expense of another. It is giving and the love that is of and from God is a love that gives and not only gives, but gives at a great cost. To give in such a sacrificial way that has as its intent the benefit and the best for another. And to carry this even further, this great love is sacrificially given to another who is unlovely, unworthy, even an enemy. And we can all understand loving someone that we typically find something that that's appealing. They're, you know, beauty, something about the personality, maybe their skills we're drawn to. We find that naturally we find a common interest or value that we would want to maybe give some help or love that person. But how incredible it is to, to understand that God in his love chose to love those who are unlovely, those who were abhorrent to him, disgusting and otherwise because of sin and disobedience. I think of the, the powerful display of God's love toward us from, from reading Ezekiel 16, you know, to see his great, in, encompassed in his love, his great mercy and his great grace toward Jerusalem, toward Israel, toward his own. And the reality is that this describes all of us. This is just who we are as unlovely, unworthy because of our sin that we have fallen. We are so far, so short from the great glory of God. And remember the nature of God. He is spirit. He sees and knows all that we are and that we are all without any excuse. And in his light and his holiness and his purity and perfection and his hatred for sin, 
revealing and pouring out his righteous wrath out on sin and sinners, yet as part of this fallen human nature and human race as those bearing the sin nature of our federal head, we've now become objects of God's distinguishing and redeeming love. And we know this love is so great and sacrificial and that he gave of himself. He gave himself on the only begotten son on that cursed tree in Calvary. Burkhoff says God's love may be defined, sorry I went too far, as that perfection of God by which he is eternally moved to self-communication. And what, what a glorious means of self-communicating God has done through his son in the revelation of, wor- of his word. But I want to look back now at God's love in more detail, some of which we cover but in, in some aspects that I hope will help us just to see how great this attribute of God's love is as, as this love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called his child, that we would be adopted into his family. Any, any questions, any comments so far? Is everything okay on the audio, brother? Okay. It does. Amen. Amen. You do have a greater insight becoming a father and a mother to understand the Father's love for us, how much he truly cares that that same love now can be poured out on a helpless, dependent child, how we are so much like that. And, and even in spite of there being little sin bearers, we can pour out our love on them, you know? Amen. Okay, there's five aspects of this I want to look at. Lord willing. <laughs> First, I mentioned in the introduction, one that we're very familiar with in our, in our theology studies, but very critical we must begin with, is that this love of God, God's love is Trinitarian, and even more specific, it is intra-Trinitarian. <clears throat> Not enter. Anybody know the difference? Why intra is so important? It, it's, it's within one person as inter is between two groups, separate persons. So yeah, this, this love of God is, is an intra-Trinitarian God. It is shared by the person of the Godhead. Those three persons united in the Trinity, shared by them. This is a love that is first and has always existed before time with the Godhead. It is as God the Father eternally loves God the Son and as the Father has eternally loved the Spirit and the Son eternally loving the Father and the Spirit in, in, in an unblemished love and 
with such an indescribable love that we can't fathom. We can't put enough adjectives and descriptives to to understand it because of our finiteness. But we can see from Scripture, and a few we're going to look at here, just the beauty, the, the declared beauty and intimacy and, and love that the Father and the Son share. And this same love is what is now given to us. This is the love that Paul describes as the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge in Ephesians 3.18. This is the love tangibly and audibly declared and inscribed for us in Matthew 3.17 when the Father says, This is my beloved Son, my agapetos, my Son, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased in one in whom I have eternally set my love upon and now manifested to us to reveal my love that has been given through him. Kind of expounding on that. But for it is the Son, according to John one eighteen, who is in the bosom of the Father, so very near and dear to the Father, that he is the one who has come to what? explain and reveal the Father and this love to us. And there's such a communion, such a closeness in the communion and such an intimacy. Technical difficulty, sorry about that. Of the Son laying his head upon the Father's bosom and resting there, that that image, that beauty, that, that closeness, in John 3.35, we see that the Father so loves the Son that he's given all things into his hand. And to those who are called to faith in Christ, he now promises this very same intimate, eternal, immutable love made known to us. We, we see also in John 17.25-26, would someone like to read that for me? I need a drink of water real quick. John seventeen twenty five and 26 in Jesus' high priestly prayer. Yes, sir. That same love between the Father and the Son from all eternity is now given to those who Christ has brought forth, who God has has given to the Son, and and Christ has brought us to the Father. We share in that same, same eternal Trinitarian love that they share in. That love has been poured out in our hearts, which we're going to look at here in a minute. As we were just talking, think about, you know, the love we have for for sons and daughters and grandkids, even even nieces and nephews, our families, that love within us rises so high that there's virtually nothing we wouldn't do for them, right? And I, even even as unsaved, I, I would do anything for my daughter. I mean, whatever it took. And and now, how exponentially greater for us as children of God, and knowing the heavenly Father's love for His Son. 
it's greater than any love we can fathom in our natural state and even attempt to express to our own children and family. And this is why we, we start out looking at this inter-Trinitarian love of God that we may be able to peer into this love through, through several scriptures. I'm just going to read a couple here for the sake of time. But John 5.20, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. In John 15.9-10, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father, Father's commandments and abide in his love. And this is why we must begin here in the inner Trinitarian love. Because we read in John 17, and, and I want to read this again, that because the Father has loved the Son in such a glorious, perfect way, in the same way the Father loves each of us who have put our faith in his Son, who have believed in him, and he loved us with this perfect love. And I want to read John 17, just an excerpt here for, for us. In Jesus' prayer, Father, I desire, speaking for, toward us, looking to the future, eschatological promise here, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Amen. So this intra-Trinitarian love of the Godhead brings us to our second aspect, second characteristic of God's love and that it is an infinite love. It's without measurable content. It is beyond vastness and dimension and time. And this, too, we see back in John 17, verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. And this infinite, never-ending, always-existing love that throughout all time and eternity, the love of the Father has the same eternal reality for us as it does for his only begotten son. Think about that for a minute. How careful we should be in our responses when we think or say, no one cares for me, no one loves me. When the eternal love of the Father has been set upon you, has, has been poured out into your hearts. This infinite love of God, as, as Roman five, Romans 5.5 5 tells us, has been poured out into our hearts through the Spirit, both, both to humble us, absolutely, but because we are mere creatures, but it so lifts us up in Him, to Him, as His beloved children. For this is, is all of His doing on our behalf. And it is so great a love that the Father has as bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. And such we are. Amen. So we see how great a love the Father has for us. That God loved us in such a way, in such a way that he gave. And he gave from his very nature. He gave from himself. He gave his son. So that when we have been brought to 
by the Spirit, the washing of regeneration. And we repented of our sins and by faith put our trust and our hope in Christ. He brings Christ to live within us and also the Father's love into our hearts so that it becomes now a reality in our lives. We know in the truest sense what love is really all about. And it becomes, it should become, and my prayer is becomes more and more an, an experimental reality and experience in us and through us. This The same sacrificial love poured into us that it may spill over and flow over to others in the body of Christ. Do you ever wonder where you fit within the body of Christ? What your purpose is, what your role is, even in this particular church? Have you ever had that question? Ever thought, wondered, where, where do I fit? What, what's my God-intended purpose for me in this body? You know where to start? <laughs> right here, right here. Even in the imperfect messiness of our church, okay? We are all imperfect, fallible, grace-abundant <laughs> recipients of God's grace. That love of God through Christ to us, when we fixate more and more on the love and the good for others, it begins a work in us and we start seeing more a desire to see the common good of the body, the growth of the body, the maturing of the body, to see Christ in the body, that we start forgetting about ourselves. When we let that love of God spill over, and whatever it is, you know, working on a car, where's Kato? You know, Lord willing, we're going to have a chance to work on his car this week. Praying for one another. Caring for one another. Sharing meals. Taking care of kids while the parents are sick. Whatever it is, these are expressions of the love of God because it's not fixed on ourselves. It is on one another. And in that, we'll begin to realize where we fit in this body. What our intended purpose is in this body. As that greater gift that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, love. Okay? This is why Jude encourages us in Jude 1.20 to be keeping ourselves walking and building ourselves up in our most holy, objective faith in Christ. And by seeking this reality through prayer and asking for the Spirit's help and keeping us in the love of the Father. This is an infinite, limitless love available to us each and every moment of every day of now through eternity, never ending. And since God is absolutely good in and of himself, his love cannot find complete satisfaction in any object that falls short of perfection. What I mean by that, his love, he loves his rational creatures for his own sake. He loves them in himself, in his virtues, in his gifts, in his works. And he has a special, infinite love for believers and regards them as his spiritual children, his adopted children in Christ. Any questions or comments? This takes us to our third aspect of his intra-Trinitarian 
infinite love that as we've been talking about in part is is a sacrificial love truly god godly love sacrifices for one another it must give because true love costs anyone can say they love something or someone but true love in a person and this love from god will demonstrate this love in sacrifice and action whether i say like in food shelter clothing late night runs to the ER, whatever it may require, you know, brother or sisters in need, there's where my heart is. I want to set that same love that I've received as an unworthy recipient upon someone that I love and and care for and desire to serve and to see their best good in whatever it may take. And so it is with God's love perfectly and also beautifully and clearly demonstrated to us Where? In the cross. In Christ, on the cross. But God, He chose and determined through this inter-Trinitarian council to demonstrate His own love to each and every one of us so that none of us were without excuse. That while we were in the very midst of our depth, in the depth of our sin, our darkness, our separation, our enmity with God, even while we were still yet sinning, Christ died for us. This is the Father's greatest demonstration of his love for us. That God would so love the world in such a way that he gave his only begotten son, Monogenes, only one, one of a kind. He loved in such a way to sacrificially give of himself to give his only son, not one of many. God didn't have many sons that he chose his favorite to give up. I was just meditating on this some more this week, thinking that, you know, having an only daughter, I can relate how difficult that would have been to even consider giving her up for somebody as unworthy as I am. (laughs) But how much more that God incarnate was, he was not willing to hold anything back and giving the greatest gift ever given to us. Spurgeon even said that because the Son is co-equal with God the Father, that God gave God. God gave God the Father gave God the Son in a gift that cannot be surpassed by anything or anyone in this world. And to demonstrate this sacrificial, self-giving love, he laid down his life for his friends. I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends. This is the sacrificial love given by God the Father in and through God the Son who would willingly go as the blameless, innocent, sacrificial lamb to the cruel, cursed tree to be scourged mercilessly than to be nailed and hung upon a cross, humiliated to the extreme, bearing the shame and reproach of the cross, so that as the good shepherd of his own sheep, that you and I, he would lay down his life for all the chosen hell-bound rebels, and then to take our sin and give us his righteousness, and to now call us his friends. How great and deep the Father's love is for us. How sacrificial and costly Jesus demonstrated this to us not only in his death and perfect sacrifice, but in his resurrection and the life that we now share with him. Because in that, we receive the love of the Father. 
So we see this Trinitarian love, this infinite love of God, this sacrificial love of God demonstrated and given to us was not just because of some random act. Christ was not just a man in unfortunate circumstances who was falsely accused and murdered for no reason. Now this brings us to our fourth point, that God's love is volitional. It is the predetermined choice of God. It is his will for us. And this is where we see, I think, just another layer, radiance of his beauty, of that covenantal counsel that we see in eternity past, that we learned in our covenant theology study, in this covenant of redemption, that in the triune counsel and that sacred communion, God chose to set his love upon his predetermined elect children, not because he saw anything worthwhile in us. This, this, this is mind-blowing. But to see through all the portals of time and not see anything inherently good within us, even something in us that would draw us, draw him to love us, but it was a, a self-originating love with God that flows, is, is dispatched, is predetermined to be poured out upon us at our salvation, but also determined in eternity past. Certainly we know this is not because we love God first and that somehow God would reciprocate his love to us and from this save us. Remember, realize this, nothing in us was appealing to God in us that we would naturally had or have or will have that would contain any drawing power to appeal or draw out his love toward us. We were, we were doubly separated by sin and by being the outcast from the commonwealth of Israel, you know, except for our one sister. <laughs> not those having been given the oracles of God, but this love for us was originated from his eternal self. And he has determined it to bestow it upon us through the revelation of himself, through his son and by his spirit. Why? Because he is love. It is his very nature to love. He must love. And this is... wonderfully declared back in the earliest centuries of time, back in Deuteronomy 7. Someone wouldn't mind turning there, Deuteronomy 7. I want to read verses 7 to 11. But I want to look also at the full counsel of God's love and promises, but also his warnings to us, because in his warnings we show, we see his goodness and his love to us both toward those who believe in him, who put their faith and trust in him, and those who reject him. And in that is love, is goodness, is vindication for sin. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 11. Brother God. Seven, seven through eleven. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say you're a little bit off there. <laughs> it's all right. Same context.
Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, hmm. from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is the God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to the thousand generations hmm. and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. Hmm. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Amen. So we see from this in Deuteronomy and also <clears throat> further in First John 4.19 that by God's grace and the work of His Spirit we have now been enabled to love, to respond to the love of God, to return the love of God. As it says in, in Mark 12, talking about the, the greatest commandments from the Shema, Lord our God is one God, but we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul and our strength, and to love one another as our neighbor, love our neighbors as ourselves because God has first loved us. And it's entirely because of his initial effective love, and we can see within this God's work of grace and mercy as well, those attributes working in unison from God, that we're not only understand what love is, but have given this immense deposit and flow of his love that's to lift us up and to be shared and worked out into others' lives, into the body of the church. And what a glorious initiation and pursuit of God's love toward rebellious sinners. But also with his love, as I said, come his warnings too. And he pursued us, seeking us out with an open heart and open arms. What does this enormous, immeasurable love of God make you think of when his open arms and his open heart? Any parable of Christ, pardon? The cross, exactly. I'm thinking specifically of one of Christ's parables in Luke 15. The prodigal. Yeah, we see the father not sitting in his house waiting for the son to come back, drumming his fingers, just looking forward in anticipation to punish him, to correct him, to discipline him. He's looking out on the horizon, and he sees him in a, even at a great distance. And when he sees him, what does he do? He runs. I love If you get a chance, listen to MacArthur's sermons on these. He, he picks up his his garments and exposes his legs and ankles which in Jewish times that was a forbidden thing and he runs to his prodigal and he slaps him no embraces him he kisses him hugs him puts a ring on his finger puts a robe on him puts sandals on his feet he sacrifices the lamb for him there's celebration because his son has returned that's a glorious testimony of the love of God for each and every one of us. When one sheep is brought back into the fold, can you imagine 
the resounding hallelujahs in the heavens when the angels before the throne of God rejoicing when one soul comes to faith in Christ. And to consider that was celebrated for each and every one of you who are in Christ. We certainly don't see in God's love a stoic sovereign in heaven just merely making notes on a ledger, taking account in in some cognitive or intellectual way of what we're doing and not doing in some distant, unconcerned, unconnected relationship. No. The heart of God is seen and demonstrated, and we see this in our final point, that God's love The love of God is passionate. It is a heart full of his affection for his people and rejoicing over his people. Micah 7.18 says, God delights in unchanging love for us. There is both delight and immutability in his love for us. And Zephaniah 3.17, he will exult over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love meaning he's not going to bring an account of our sins to us. He's quiet in his love, but he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Father not only loves his saints, he loves to love them and exult over them. He's no longer in his love toward us recalling our past sins and failures. He rejoices us over us when he calls us to himself. When one of his elect is brought into the fold, his heart rejoices with unspeakable joy when just one sinner comes home. So we can see that God's great love to us is an eternal love. It's a predestinated love to express his good and acceptable and perfect will. It is the greatest love that has ever been known and seen, one that is infinite in power, beauty, duration, one that is sacrificial and giving. We see that in his only begotten son. It is a love that is passionate and rejoices over us when we're brought into his family. How great the Father's love is for us. So I want to leave you with one probing question. If some random person were to observe your life for a day, for a week, Could they learn from the quality and degree of love that you share for others? Wife, children, co-workers, strangers, neighbors, enemies? Could they learn anything at all about the greatness of God's love for you and in you? Just ponder that. That's been on my heart this week. Any questions? Yes, brother. Make a comment on yes. The aspect of the, the sacrificial, um, I guess, aspect of you know the love as well as the the volitional that you mentioned mm-hmm. in us. That at times I think for ourselves we can sometimes in our own sin like feel as though well, that person's not worthy of my love or I'm not going to act this way because of how they've treated me. Yeah. But that when we meditate upon the love of God for us, we should be even more loving. Amen. Right? Amen. Um, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, it says, yep. we'll be images of God 
and beloved children and walk in love. And the example that's given is as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Amen. That aspect of following in Christ's love by sacrificing ourselves for others, even when it may be true that they don't deserve it. Right, right. Um, and we'll be known by that love, like you're saying, right? Um, and that, amen, and that, that's where we see the aroma of life to life and death to death, that, that the world's going to reject it or despise it, or they're going to go, tell me about that. What, what, tell me about that hope you have. Where does that love come from? Because God is our only source of true love, of knowing what true love is all about. And it's, it is always sacrificial. It's never self-fulfilling. It's not, what about me? It's, what about you? you know, where are you? How's your walk? Do you need anything? Can I work on your car? You know, any of that. All the above. <laughs> Amen. You brother? Wow. God, we keep ourselves in the love of God, and as Brian was talking about, that love is expressed to one another. Who gets the glory in that? It's God. It's Him, because it's it's not going to be self-fulfilling. It's not going to be, oh, look what I'm doing. It's, no, I have an opportunity to serve my brother and sister and, and share some of the love that God's given me. Amen. Amen. Let's go to worship. Amen. <laughs>